we ended up with quite a few questions on the board. So I don't think I'll get to them all, but we'll see how far we get. And the first one, I think, is um, basically one that I was planning on doing anyway. So I'll start here. Could you elaborate on the skill of noticing when awareness stops occurring or gets lost? That's the way I'm interpreting this. Elaborate on the skill of noticing where awareness gets lost. I mentioned that this morning in the in the instruction period, a little bit about recognizing where we lose awareness and being curious about what we're missing, what 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 we're not noticing. That uh, in the um, process of the mindfulness getting lost, it usually means that there's something that hasn't been noticed, because basically. Um, when we're paying attention, when we're, when we're being aware, um, the mind tends to stay present. And so what, what often happens is there's something that happens that the mind gets picks up on, gets lost in, and is not aware that it's doing that. So it's uh, the first piece that I just wanted to express from this morning was just this curiosity again of um, kind of um, maybe just asking the question, if you tend to notice, if you tend to notice, for instance, that your uh, awareness gets lost in particular states of mind or particular um, uh, habits of mind, you know, it might be your your attention gets lost in planning or gets lost when experience gets really ordinary or gets lost in boredom or, um, uh, yeah, just, you know, a various, various habits uh, in which the, the attention gets lost. If you notice a kind of a pattern around that, then as you see the mind start to go into those patterns, you, you might be able to be curious about what am I missing? What am I not noticing? So that's, that's just, that was the first encouragement just to, to do that. I'll give some specific examples from my own practice of this kind of exploration. Sometimes the examples of how it works in one's practice can help give an indication of how this might work. So um, one example is, um, for, for instance, for myself, I would notice at times that I would get lost um, when there was pain in the body, that that would be a habitual time that the mind would um, get lost in thought, and, or actually more not, not so much lost in thought, but lost in a state. one of the things that we can explore in terms of where we lose awareness. Um, sometimes whatever we're waking up into as mindfulness returns, sometimes, not always, but sometimes whatever we're waking up into, whatever state of mind or whatever's present as we come back into awareness, sometimes that's a clue as to you know, what we're getting lost in, 
So, for instance, for myself with pain, uh, I would I would n- be noticing pain, working with pain, and then sometime later I would wake up noticing that I had been lost, not present, and the state that I would wake up in was kind of this zoned out place. It's like the mind had checked out. It had just gone into some other place. And so this this kind of um, experience, waking up into that, uh, actually the the willingness, kind of like I've been saying about notice what you wake up into, uh, then you can you can recognize the awareness itself arising. But also, if as you wake up into states in which you get habitually lost, you get a taste or a flavor of the possibility of being mindful in the states in which we habitually get lost. Does that make sense? Do you know what I'm saying? I'll say, I'll try it another way. So um, suppose we habitually get lost, like like being zoned out, for instance, is a place or an, a state of mind in which mindfulness is probably often not there. I mean, it, it seems by definition sometimes, yeah, zoned out, absence of mindfulness. We would think that would be the definition of being zoned out. Um, and yet, in a moment of mindfulness re-arising, and this is, you know, what I discovered in my own practice, in the moment of mindfulness re-arising, it's like it arises in that zoned out state. It arises there and knows something about that zoned out state. And, you know, often because mindfulness has re-arisen, then that zoned out state dissipates or changes. And yet, um, we get the hint or get the sense of the possibility that mindfulness, that, that the zoned out state does not inherently mean the absence of mindfulness, but that there's a possibility of, of having mindfulness uh, be aware of a zoned out state. And so sometimes when mindfulness re-arises af- in, uh, after we've been habitually lost, whatever it's re-arising into. So there's the awareness that returns and there's some, some experience it's re-arising into. Often it's thinking, but sometimes it's states of mind, such as zoned out or something like that, bored or confusion. So that when mindfulness re-arises in that state, we get a sense of what it means to be mindful of that state and uh, getting familiar with it, even in those little hits as mindfulness comes back, getting familiar with it as the mindfulness re-arises in that state, we, we begin to get a flavor of what that experience is with mindfulness. And so it, uh, it starts to um, uh, allow us to recognize, so we recognize on the end side, you know, we wake up into something like zoned out, we get a little flavor of what it's like to be mindful of zoned out. That can help us to actually begin to notice when the mind starts to move into zoned out. So that was kind of the, the background. And now the specific example around zoned out. Um, and I, I have a couple examples around this. Uh, maybe I'll tell, tell them both. Uh, one around pain, where the mind would go into zoned out around pain. And so 
noticing the pain, you know, being, noticing the pain, aware of the pain, and then sometime later, I would wake up recognizing been zoned out. So waking up into that zoned out place. Um, Aware, becoming aware of what that zoned out place was like. And then recognizing over time that the pain and the zoned out place were connected. Um, I got curious about, okay, experiencing pain. That's what's happening. How does the mind, not, not saying, you know, okay, stay with the pain, but kind of curious. There's this connection. The mind goes into zoned out from pain. How does that happen? So rather than having the the sense of zoned out is a problem, there's there's pain and the mind ends up in zoned out. Can, Can the mindfulness be aware of how it gets there? That's the investigation that I started to make. So aware of the pain, and then beginning to recognize the, um, you know, when we're uh, aware of something, so noticing, yep, there's the pain, you know, the, 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 the throbbing, the pulsing, the tension, etc. And then at some point beginning to recognize there's this like, just disconnection from that. The mind kind of leaves or decides to kind of let go of that. And from there, watching what the mind did, you know, rather than again, you know, rather than saying, oh, the mind is, is letting go of paying attention to pain. Oh, come back and pay attention to pain. The investigation is more like, oh, the mind is letting go of paying attention to pain. I'm aware that it's letting go of paying attention to pain. Awareness is there. Let's watch it. Let's see what the mind wants to do. And so allowing that, watching that, can basically watch the mind move from attending to pain into this kind of checked out space. Like, you know, feels like being surrounded by cotton balls. Just in this like secluded, like buffered place. That's what the mind did. And so watching that Basically, the, the, one of the learnings I got from that kind of thing is, um, oh, the mind has a strategy for dealing with pain. And actually, the other thing that I noticed or began recognizing when I'd wake up into that zoned out place is that it wasn't like the pain was gone, but the mind was no longer having trouble with it. And so the, the, the mind had figured out this way of creating a non-reactive space about pain. Only it had done it with, without mindfulness. You know, it had just done its thing. It's like our minds will do this. Our minds will try to navigate the world, navigate difficult scenarios in ways that, it, it, the, the best ways that it can do, absent the tool of mindfulness. And so this was a strategy that my mind had, had used. It had created this cotton ball land for working for for when there was pain. And so watching that, seeing that, one of the lessons I understood was it's possible to be non-reactive when there's pain in in the body. That there's that the mind has this capacity to be non-reactive. So that was a learning and the fact that I also recognized that I could that that it was possible to be aware of uh, of this kind of cotton ball experience 
No, the zoned out place in that case was a, was this like protected, shielded experience. And there was a habit of not being mindful in there, but it was not inherently. It didn't, it didn't, it didn't have to be non-mindful. It was kind of a place in which the mindfulness habitually got lost. And so just learning, again, it's a kind of a stretching to learn um, how mindfulness can start to expand into areas in which we might think it's just not possible for mindfulness to go. I don't remember if I've said it in the hall yet, this retreat. I usually say it at some point on these retreats, but if you ever have the thought or the idea that, oh, this kind of state is happening, it's not possible to be mindful in that state, don't believe it. Don't believe it. Instead, be curious about how might it be possible? How might it be possible to be mindful in that state? You know, it's possible to be mindful. Sometimes teachers talk about being aware of the last thing before you've fallen asleep. I've not ever actually been able to do that. But something else kind of amazing was possible as I was working particularly around low energy states. So again, you know, low energy states are states that we habitually feel like not possible to be mindful in you know, not possible. And playing with, over a course of several retreats, playing with low energy, so much low energy, that it's just like, well, I just have to surrender to this low energy. There's nothing else I can do here. So might as well figure out, learn how to be present for this. And I was doing a lot of lying meditation. I do a lot of lying meditation because of my back. And so doing lying meditation in low energy is a recipe for falling asleep. So, and yet, there was this, this kind of real uh, interest, a kind of strong dedication, you know. There's got to be a way to bring the mindfulness into this low energy space. There has got to be a way. And so I just kept working with it. Just kept, we fall asleep, I'd wake up, oh, just keep trying. Not beating myself up, just keep trying. And at some point, I discovered this, the, the possibility, or the mind discovered the possibility. It wasn't anything I could do. Certainly I couldn't do this, but the, but the mindfulness could follow the awareness through the whole process of falling asleep into the fall. There's a distinct shift of consciousness when the mind fell asleep and aware, aware, and into a dream. It's like, I had no idea that mindfulness had that kind of capacity. And so that experience was like, that one really convinced me, don't believe it's not possible to be mindful of anything. And at this point, I think it's probably mindful to be, to be mindful all 24 hours a day, you know, falling asleep, waking up. I've not experienced that, but I just, I just um, have had enough experiences that I have a strong confidence in the capacity of mindfulness. It's way more powerful than we think it is. So this, um, you know, this willingness to 
be curious about how might it be possible and willingness to lose mindfulness over and over again. You know, that the way that this practice of, of letting the mindfulness or having the mindfulness start to expand into terrain which is not familiar is to be non-judgmental about the fact that you're going to lose mindfulness as you try to make this exploration, as you explore this stretching the boundaries, looking at going into zoned out places, watching the mind heading out into weird states. I also think this is a real, hmm, uh, there's also been a lot of learning about letting go in exploring this kind of, you know, where does the mind go when it gets lost? Because sometimes as the mind uh, moves out of uh, habitual or, or familiar states into unfamiliar states, it's letting go of something. And the, the, you know, the experience of letting go, you know, if we can be present for that, there's a lot of learning that happens there experience of release. This kind of exploration, you know, sometimes I, I say, you know, what I offer isn't something to do, it's information about things you might notice. And in particular, this kind of exploration of noticing where awareness gets lost, we can't really do it. We can have, we can hold the intention, we can have the interest, we can be curious about it. And then as the mindfulness gets more continuous, it begins to infiltrate or move, be able to see things that it hasn't seen before. And holding a question of, gosh, how might it be possible to be aware of zoned out? But not trying to do it, because the very doing will kind of get in the way. And, you know, I think too, in terms of the release, the, the freedom the Buddha talks about, you know, we don't know what Nibbana is. We don't know what that freedom he's talking about is. How can we look for it? How can we find it? Really, we need to be available for something unfamiliar, for something we have no idea. And this practice of exploring, you know, I think of what is it, the Star Trek, you know, going where no man has gone before. (laughs) This practice of going where mindfulness hasn't gone before. You know, practicing, exploring the possibility, being wi- uh, willing to lose awareness in the service of that exploration will serve us to um, have the skills or the tools for being available to be present for unfamiliar experience. So that's probably enough about that. So a couple questions about questioning. I'll read them and then uh, 
talk around them. Unclear about questioning. I think my initial, what am I aware of, is superficial. That is, birds singing, I think it says weather, tight gut, etc. Second, sometimes merely employing the note or question aware does not seem to be associated with an experience of known or felt awareness. It can seem like it's glancing off the surface, suggestions. I understand it's just a technique or prompt. The experience is that the prompt can run dry. And then, would you elaborate on how uh, the noting practice of Mahasi Sayadaw is similar or different than the Utejaniya style in particular in establishing of continuity. Um, so with, with the questioning, with using the questions, um, when we, um, you know, we start and, and we're just sitting down and checking in, am I aware, what am I aware of? You know, when we're starting out, the most obvious things are going to be kind of ordinary, normal kinds of experiences. Sounds of a car or pain in the knee or something like that. That's, that's what's going to be obvious. And the, the practice begins, I mean, the, the, I think the beauty of this practice is that it begins where it's easy. We're aware and we notice what's easy to be aware of. As we explore that, as we explore that, I mean, and we, I think, have some um, maybe some perspectives or uh, after having practiced in other styles or been on retreats and have gotten to a place where we're noticing things at a different level. <laughs> we're noticing, you know, vibration or pulsing or tingling at a kind of a subtler level and seeing subtler things arising, you know, the, the thought coming up and the emotion immediately responding. So seeing kind of patterns and how things interrelate. You know, we, we, we kind of think, well, okay, here I am starting out and am I aware, what am I aware? Well, it's just birds. It's just, you know, kind of obvious stuff. So, you know, isn't the, is this really working? We might have that question. Is this really working? Or it's not deep enough somehow. And again, you know, this practice really begins with like what's obvious or, you know, where it's easy, where it's easy to connect. And we just keep connecting. We keep connecting. It does take trust. It takes some trust. Again, you know, because we have these ideas perhaps around what we should be seeing as opposed to what we actually are seeing. We have some idea about something else should be here, as opposed to what's actually here and obvious. Um, then that, that idea kind of gets in the way of the practice of just simply noticing. It's like, this can't be right. Well, okay, aware. Well, okay, there's a, the bird. And, but this, this, this is just too obvious. I, but okay, am I aware? Okay. Heat from the well, you know. Okay, so so the mind the mind kind of keeps interjecting, this is superficial or something like that. 
So there's a, a level of trust that's needed to just recognize, okay, this is what's obvious. This is what's obvious. And just keep going. Just keep going. Just keep going. It is the continuity. It is when the mindfulness begins to get more stable that the experience... Um, Experience. It's like then, then the mindfulness can start to see different things, subtler things. And so it's it's like you know when we're starting out, that it's like the awareness is kind of at a certain level, noticing a certain kind of objects, and then over time, you know, the mindfulness gets more continuous, and it starts to be able to notice subtler levels of objects, and yet. It is the continu- It is definitely the continuity. The ga- name of the game here is continuity. The more continuous the practice is, the more that we can see. And the thing, something I've been surprised at is like, you know, the continuity I'm talking about, it's a powerful continuity. And yet, I have seen A powerful, like I've, I've seen a powerful continuity arise for all of like a minute, and it's like in that minute, some very like it's like the continuity just comes for that very brief instant, and whew, the mind sees something so clearly in that really brief moment. So we cultivate the continuity all day long. And from time to time, we may enter into these little brief spurts where the mind is just there for like even 30 seconds. And sometimes, whew, there can be a very powerful seeing into something really simple, like the arising of a thought. And how it's just a thought. It has no uh, bearing or no, no real inherent reality. You know, that we can just see so clearly, oh, it's just a thought. A thought around something that we've been caught by so many times. We see the arising of that thought and we, it just it bursts the whole bubble of it. The continuity is how that happens. But again, it's not like we have to like churn and churn and churn and like, you know, get like days of continuity going. The continuity can come in, you know, in little spurts. And so we, we, we just start to see things more clearly in little bits. And so the initial, you know, checking in, am I aware? Just keep it, keep it going. When I first sit down, yeah, I'm, I'm noticing, you know, sounds and normal pains. And, you know, it's just that's where the attention is. That's what's obvious. And just trust and keep going, just keep going, keep noticing, keep noticing. The continuity begins to uh, reveal more. And so the the piece I wanted to loop back to though, I I almost forgot about this piece, that even as the continuity gets really powerful, you know, I said that as the mindfulness gets more continuous, it can see things that are more subtle. You can start to see how the mind is working, how things connect, how, X leads to Y, and 
And yet, sometimes when the mindfulness is really continuous, sometimes what we're noticing is really ordinary. So sometimes, even though, I mean, so something I made the mistake of for a while was assuming that, gosh, if, if experience is ordinary, it must mean that my mindfulness isn't very strong. But at some point I recognized actually that the, uh, the mindfulness can be extremely strong and continuous, and yet the mind is perceiving things in an ordinary way. And so the fact of this, the uh, noticing things as, as an ordinary, walking and noticing trees and flowers and seeing, oh, the bird, and noticing that, the fact of that doesn't necessarily mean the mindfulness isn't strong. And so again, you know, we have to kind of let go of our ideas of like what the signposts are and and just notice what's actually happening. And at some point I recognized, you know, wow, it's like, no, my mindfulness, the mindfulness is really, really (laughs) here, but it's just ordinary. It's just ordinary experience. So... That's a little bit about the superficial aspect of the experience. Then the question around the question aware, using the question aware and not really getting a sense of the awareness um, or it feeling like the technique runs dry. Um, I would encourage... I would encourage just to keep playing with it. Um, It sounds like from this question, it's hard to say without an exchange, and we're not doing exchanges here, so um, it sounds like from this question that, that the person has experienced in the past the kind of sense, a little stronger sense of the awareness when dropping in that question aware and having a sense of of the experience because it does say, you know, it feels like the technique runs dry. So it sounds like it wasn't dry at one point. (laughs) Um, And so what I'm wondering is if in the uh, asking the question, is there a subtle way that you might be looking for something looking for something that you saw before when you asked the question and it was revealed. So, um, you know, just check into that piece. And it might be that, you know, that, that there's a little bit like with the questions we can, as, as I said this morning, it's really just about dropping in the question and then just like settling back, not looking for anything. And so if it feels like it's run dry, it might be that there's a little bit of looking for something. Or, you know, maybe it's just like that particular tool didn't work in that moment and just go on. Um, These questions that we drop in do not always have a response. And that's an important piece, you know, to have some patience around these questions. It's it's like... um, it's almost like what we're saying is we take that question and drop it into the mind, like the pebble into the water. It's like we're saying, mind, are you willing to look at that question right now? 
Are you willing to show something about that right now? So it's, you know, it's, it's not like a demand, show me, but just like, hey, are you willing to? Sh-? So it's, it's kind of more of a request or a, you know, a, an invitation than it is a demand. And so it's helpful, I think, also to think of the questions in that way. And then, um, how the this style, I think, of asking the questions and exploring the continuity, how is this different or similar to the noting practice? Um, from the Mahasi style. Um, I think, you know, there's some similarities in that we are looking at being consciously aware of what's happening in the present moment. That's what the, the noting practice is really, you know, really consciously trying to uh, identify, be with what is precisely happening in the moment. And I would say that that's a tool that's trying to sharpen that possibility. It's like, you know, um, you know, really a a very uh, active process of sharpening that capacity of mind to really see into what's happening. The technique, as I learned it in Burma, somewhat different than the technique as I learned it in, in the U.S. I mean, the technique as I used, learned it in the U.S. was very, was pretty light in a way. It's just kind of like, yeah, just know you can use the noting, you know, use it as it's useful. Just, you know, you, know, you can you know, use the soft word in your mind. That's how I learned it here in this country. In Burma, the instruction was really like, note it as soon as it takes place. You know, see the arising, and as soon as you note it, it's like, be on it right on it. And it was very effortful. A lot of, you know, bringing a lot of strong intentionality to, you know, uh, pain, hearing, you know, just boom, boom, boom. And, and a very um, active part in, in the mind. And so as I learned it in the U.S., maybe a little closer to what I what we're doing here. As I learned it in Burma, the level of effort uh, is very different. The way, the way in which effort is used is very different. In this practice, there's much more of a sense of gently shepherding along the continuity, and then it's the, con- you know, the, the continuity begins to reveal, the continuity gets us to the place where we're clearly, precisely seeing what's going on. But we haven't been like trying to force ourselves into that. It's much more patient and I feel organic in a way, the way that the, the continuity comes about. You know, you, you, the, 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 two t- the two techniques I think come to the same place ultimately. They come from different, for me, different levels of use of energy. And so some minds may find it really useful to come from that very strong efforting. And other minds, I think, find it more useful to come to the, from the more gentle kind of, of efforting.
Are there times when, I'm, I'm not quite sure how to read this. Are there times when, I think it, it's, it would be skillful for our response to objects to be compassion or loving kindness in addition to equanimity. Does that express the question? Um, so, the short answer is yes, <laughs> and then I'll elaborate a little bit. Um, wise attitude is this state of mind that's very allowing, receptive, not bothered by what's happening in the present moment. Um, it's a it's a place of it's a state of mind that can just simply know the arising of whatever's happening without reactivity. And so, on the 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 first level surface description of that state of mind, equanimity is a good label for that. You know, non-reactive mind. And yet that mind of non-reactivity also includes, can include, many other wholesome qualities. And so it actually can start to be interesting as we begin to touch into that place of non-reactivity. Again, it's kind of like, and what else is here? It's not, you know, so it's just, just, you know, we check the attitude, we check what's in the state of the mind, not only when there's reactivity, but when the mind is balanced and at ease. And so there, you know, there's balance in the mind. And what else is here? If there's some kind of experience of suffering or seeing something, someone in pain, for instance, what else might be there is compassion, very naturally. The heart that is non-reactive, when it sees suffering, who is going to resonate with compassion? What else is there? Might be love. Might be joy. Can also include curiosity, interest. And so, you know, not that the, the, the investigation of the relationship to experience I said, you know, roughly there's those four categories of, of attitudes. There's the category of greed, the category of aversion, the category of delusion, and the category of balance of mind or wise attitude. Well, each of those contains many, many other things. So, you know, in the category of greed, there's a, a range of different kinds of states of mind that we, we can really, could. it might be as simple as just liking something um, to full-on, you know, have to have it, you know, lust or, you know, so, so there's a range of experiences. And in wise attitude in particular, there's a wide range of beautiful, wholesome states of mind that are present and available. And so it can be, it can be, it can be interesting to check in. Oh, and what else is here? And sometimes it can be helpful also to, if you have access to it, you know, often we talk about bringing in wisdom to support a balance of mind. You know, so I talked about that yesterday in the talk, you know, bringing in, you know, this is nature. 
That's kind of bringing in wisdom, bringing in equanimity, knowing this is just causes and conditions. Some, some meditators, some people may also find it helpful to bring in um, uh, compassion or kindness. It's like, can I hold this with kindness as a way to support being present and balanced with what is happening? So it's not only just bringing in wisdom phrases, we could also bring in um, compassion phrases or, or um, you know, curiosity or, you know, just bringing, you know, j- again, it's, it's, it's borrowing those things. It may not be that you have immediate access to that state of mind. But, but you might be able to incline the mind in that direction. And again, it's kind of like, are you willing, mind, to go in the direction of compassion right now? Are you willing? Are you willing to explore the possibility of, of being kind about this experience? So again, not a demand, but more of a... a an invitation or a a request. I'll take one more and then we'll stop. If I didn't answer your question, I will save it. And, uh, And it might actually be that the other questions would be better for later in the retreat anyway. So I'll save that one. Um, Is it ever useful to follow the train of a thought to see where it leads? That is to explore the actual content, not to just note and or dismiss it as thinking. So to this one, I'd say the short answer is it depends. In daily life, there are definitely times when it's useful to follow a train of thought. One of the first pieces I want to talk about here is the the idea, you know, Sayadaw sometimes um, points to a, a habit that we sometimes have, sometimes coming from the noting world. You know, it's like, Thinking arises and the instruction is notice as soon as it takes place. So a thought arises and it's thinking. And what does that do? You know, it basically obliterates the thought. So Sayadaw sometimes says, what we do with that is like we shoot the thoughts. It's like, oh, there's a thought. There's a thought. There's a thought. (laughs) So that's one way to work with thoughts. Um, And yet that is... uh, um, not what we're exploring here so much, that kind of just jump on the thought and obliterate it. We're interested in, in seeing, can we be aware of thoughts? And so, again, I've been encouraging noting, not, not necessarily in the content, so we'll get to the content piece in a minute, but not necessarily in the content, being aware of the process of thinking, you know? So it's, 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 the, the skill of learning to be mindful while thoughts are happening. 
Again, thinking and mindfulness sometimes feel like they can't be happening at the same time. And yet we can be mindful while we are thinking. And so one way to explore this is to, you know, because it is the content where we tend to get caught. It's the content that tends to take us out of mindfulness because we get involved in the content. The content creates the bubble. It creates the world into which we inhabit. And so the content tends to be where we get lost. And so initially it can be helpful to just explore the possibility of being present for the modality or the emotions that are associated with thinking, if it's a strong emotional thought. So getting familiar with that side of thinking, as opposed to being familiar with the content itself. So that's how we initially work with being mindful of thought. And yet in daily life, again, if we think it's not possible to be mindful while we are aware of the content of thinking, there's huge areas of life that are going to be out of bounds for mindfulness. And it is possible to be aware of the content of thought while thinking. So it's like the, 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 we, can, we can know the content and we can be aware. And I've often suggested this, like, you know, this back and forth. It's like, know the, it's like with the reading. It was very similar to the reading. It's like, you know, the, you're taking in the content of someone else's thoughts there. You're reading and you're aware the content and how it impacts you. So there you are, you know, taking in content and noticing how it lands. So that's, again, some practice in this domain of being aware of thought and content. It can be useful on retreat at times to uh, practice this possibility of actually knowing the content and being aware. Because it's easier to practice on retreat than it is in daily life. So, you know, I I wouldn't necessarily suggest doing it a lot. Notice for yourself whether you get lost in the content regularly and, you know, is it skillful right now to be playing with this? If you can be aware, play with it. We are here on retreat really cultivating awareness. That's our priority. We are cultivating awareness. So in terms of following the content to see where it leads, you know, to be interested in the content per se for its own sake isn't so much what we're about on the retreat, maybe with one exception, which I'll get to in a minute, um, or a category of exception, which I'll get to in a minute. Um, and yet, you know, the, the sometimes psychological understanding can result from that kind of exploration. You know, we, we watch this thought go, and it's not just watching the thought go, it's understanding what's happening around it. So we're, we're really understanding how we're responding while that thought is going. So it gives us a lot of information about what's happening. And sometimes there can be some psychological insight, some psychological understanding that can be beneficial for us. And it will serve us for daily life. The category of exception that I would like to bring in is, um, this is a story from the suttas. 
about a group of people who were exploring content together. They were exploring a Dharma topic. They were having a Dharma discussion together. Um, none of them, well, they were all at various stages of awakening. And, uh, I think the story goes that there was a group of like, you know, 60 monks or something who were, had like the, the first hints of of awakening they were you know they'd had some understanding and then and the other person who was kind of doing the main dharma talk um, had a higher level of understanding but still was talking beyond his own understanding so he he understood something intellectually probably he'd heard a talk from the buddha and it was about you know i don't want to give you the content so much but it was about the five aggregates and a, a deep understanding of the five aggregates and so the uh, the person giving the talk and answering the questions was talking from learned knowledge, not from direct experience. So they were having Dharma discussion. They were exploring the content of that. And my ex understanding is being aware while exploring the content, right? So you're, you're you, again, it's that take in the content and be present at the same time. And so they were having this Dharma discussion. And the last line in the sutta says, and all of the monks, including the monk who was giving the Dharma talk, became enlightened during this discussion. So there's a case where following the content, exploring content, was extremely helpful led to full liberation. So sometimes in our minds, a Dharma thread might come up. You might have some thoughts arise around the teaching. And I've, I've seen this happen too. You know, I'll be sitting in some, I'll hear a little few sentences of Dharma that a teacher said three, three, you know, a year and a half ago. As Dharma thoughts arise. And, and in that moment, the, the mind just enters into the experience from that perspective and understands something new. And so in a way, that's kind of like following the content of that Dharma and yet being present. So it's, it's, it's n never about just being in the content, but being available for how the content lands, what we are knowing in our experience as we are exploring that content. So let's sit for a moment and just let the words so I just want to reiterate, you don't have to remember anything. You know, kind of as this example, you know, like just let the Dharma go in, kind of like rain filtering through stones. It'll serve its purpose. And at some point it may just simply arise some sentence or some phrase. And so you don't have to hold on to any of it. 
just open to awareness in this present moment. <laughs> 